if you're going to continue to buy lots of point solutions from many, many different vendors, which can often have a very slow RFP or RFI process attached to it as you go through that selection process, you can't respond quickly enough to keep your organization safe. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Edean Porter de Leon. Security teams now preside over an ecosystem that is more distributed and heterogeneous than ever before. A study was recently conducted in which over 3,500 CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs from around the world were surveyed from companies in a range of industries to understand the challenges and issues facing businesses when it comes to escalating cyber attacks. In this episode, originally recorded at VMware's 2020 Security Connect event, we hear from Rick McElroy, Principal Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware's Carbon Black, in conversation with Jan Lawford, Senior Director of EMEA Security Sales. Rick and Jan highlight the findings of the global survey and discuss how senior cybersecurity professionals plan to adapt to the security challenges of the distributed workplace and evolve defenses to make security intrinsic to infrastructure and operations. Very excited to have a fireside chat today where we're going to dive into some of the findings from our Global Security Insights Report. This year's Global Insights Report was fueled by 3,542 CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs who were surveyed on the state cybersecurity. This research occurred across 14 countries, and here's my take on the research. Everything is different, and yet everything is the same. The cybersecurity professionals who contributed to the fourth edition of our Global Security Insights are in a very different position than when they answered the 2020 survey. After a year that saw the largest and fastest transformation in work patterns in history, security teams now preside over an ecosystem that is more distributed and heterogeneous than ever before. Digital transformation programs advanced rapidly as the cyber attack service expanded to include living rooms, kitchens, home networks, and personal devices. The remote workforce behaves very differently to the office-bound workforces. They access the network at unpredictable hours as they balance the demands of work and family. As a result, network traffic has changed beyond recognition. Defenders must adapt monitoring systems and trigger points or risk leaving opportunity for the threat actors to use atypical patterns to mask infiltration attempts. So against this rapidly changing backdrop, the one thing that remained the same, the one industry that wasn't disrupted, and in fact was fueled by the pandemic is cybercrime. The frequency of attacks is high, sophistication continues to evolve, and these breaches are inevitable as a result. It is my great pleasure to welcome Jan Lawford, Senior Director, EMEA, for this fireside chat to discuss these findings. She joins us from Dell EMC, where she served as the Divisional Vice President for Western Europe. Jan, thanks for being with us in the audience today. Thanks so much. How are things? Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to talk about the findings of this report, which are really interesting. Yeah, and I'm a little lucky. You know, I, I work on the report, so I get some previews, and I get to track this stuff over time. But I wanted to start with one of the big headlines. Year over year, decrease in this number throughout my career, unfortunately, uh, the number has continued to rise. 75% of all respondents that attack volumes have increased in the past year. In fact, increased by a margin of over 50%. Can you talk to me a little bit about the conversations that you're having and what we're seeing from customers and what are they working on to help deal with this pure volume problem? Well, the pandemic has created such an unpredictable world for all types of companies, right? 
They've had to work out how to engage with customers in different ways. They've had to work out how to capitalize on different trends in their markets. And, you know, clearly they've had to empower their workforce to, as you said, work from their their bedroom, their kitchen, their lounge. So it's been a really, really challenging time for them. And you rightly said, one of the few industries that hasn't been disrupted by COVID is cybercrime. Organizations responded and the first major response obviously was to try to enable their remote workforce, many of which didn't have a significant number of employees working remotely before COVID. That was a a really, needed to be a really fast pivot. And we worked with many organizations to help enable that. And it was very challenging for many. As they started to make that pivot, security teams came under extreme pressure, faced many, many new challenges. You talked about some of them, people working on personal devices, home networks, and then that whole element of of human behavior, people in lockdown, working from their home day after day, challenges with their technology, with their access to applications and data, you know, their behavior changing, which again, added that further unpredictable element. So the SOC, the security teams under extreme pressure and really having to be very dynamic in their approach to being able to manage this completely never experienced before situation. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think people don't think about too is all the people that were hired during a pandemic when you had education and training that occurred that people were used to uh, sitting in an office with the rest of the defenders. And it's had, I think, a massive impact. And then then I think the other thing that I also like to mention as part of these is is avoiding that burnout that comes with that, right? So a lot of defenders really working 24-7, incident responders are, are just now able to fly around the globe again. I think secondarily, what else are we dealing with? We're dealing with a giant rise in the sophistication. And look, I could rewind the tape to WannaCry in 2016 or NotPetya or all of these things, right? All of these splashy names. But look, I I don't think this is going to go away. I think we're in the middle of a cyber's arms race. And so to your earlier point about SOC teams and defenders, are folks looking at implementing some new technology to really deal with the sophistication or, or what are they looking at and the conversations that they're having and strategies? Yeah, absolutely. They are. And let's not misunderstand, you know, attacks are being aimed at all types of organizations, large and small, but obviously the more sophisticated attacks are being aimed at larger organizations with larger employee numbers. Size matters in the, even in this world of cybersecurity. And so absolutely, we are talking to customers, large and small, about how we can help them improve their their security capability across their entire environment, any cloud, any application, any device. And those conversations that we've been having in in the last 12 months have really accelerated, not accelerated just in terms of the conversations, but also projects to be able to deploy increased security capability and sophistication as they've seen a real need to do that. Thinking about some of the more sophisticated attacks, uh, I was thinking uh, the other day, Travelex here in the UK collapsed after a ransomware attack. A thousand people lost their jobs. And Rick, I know that you're an absolute expert on solar winds, which is probably one of the most sophisticated attacks we've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you start to look at just the planning that went into that, I mean, it's estimated six to nine months to a year of pre-work before they even started to do anything nefarious. And and I think for me, what it really represented is this shift in trust. We sort of went from an information security, this idea that things are untrustworthy, and then we established some things like PKI, you know, certificate signing and, and making sure good known binaries came from good known manufacturers that use those certs. And then we were able to build things like application control. 
Yeah, that's a it's a wonderful preventative control. Unfortunately, when you look at something like SolarWinds and this ability to actually sign certifications on behalf of that organization and then deliver something nefarious, that brings in a lot of questions. And I think it actually tees up one of these other findings, which is 63% of respondents say they needed better visibility over the data and applications. And, and my first thought, Jan, and I think you highlighted something in, in your earlier point, was really around just sending people home. I was on a roundtable with CISOs two days ago. You had a lot of new equipment that was bought. You had equipment that was pulled right out of an office and, and brought home. You had children who were working from home systems because yeah. they had to stay up on the education. So look, I think as we've, um, and we're going to talk about one of these points in a little bit during the discussion, but I think, look, to your point, it is about the data. It is about the attackers going after that. What do customers want? They want to ensure they have that full context, the full picture. It actually speaks to this next one as well, which is the cloud-based attacks. This idea that we've had to rapidly introduce a lot of new technology. Some of us couldn't even get to data centers and or do work due to the pandemic. So talk to me a little bit about cloud threats, cloud risks, and what folks can start to do or, or consider as part of their strategy there. What do attackers want? And companies are storing more and more data and applications in the cloud, in the public cloud. So clearly, you know, that is what is behind the fact that we're seeing more of these attacks, cloud-based attacks becoming one of the most frequent attack types. To stress clearly, and it may be obvious to us, but it might not be obvious to everybody, is that the customer organization, they may be leveraging a public cloud and using that for applications and storing their data, but that doesn't mean that they're not responsible for securing that environment, for the security of their, their, their data and their apps. We're working with a number of customers to make sure that they've got a secure environment end-to-end -end across hybrid cloud, where they're using private cloud and public cloud. And one of the key things really is a unified controls. Make sure that they are effective across the entire environment and not just one element. Uniform controls that exist wherever my data goes. That is a great vision. I think it represents our intrinsic vision for security. Uh, honestly, what folks are looking for is I, I just want my controls. You know, if I take my car and I move it to a different parking lot, well, I still have an alarm on that car. Or it takes a key or a key fob to get into it. The security exists with the device, not it changes depending on the parking lot that I park into, right? You know, unfortunately, these are the statistics that bum me out. I, you yeah. know, again, I've been doing this a long time and I'd like to see a reduction in the overall number of breaches, but look, 81% said they've been breached in the last 12 months. 82% of those were material impacting breaches, which means customer data, PII, some sort of regulatory government body that's over it, whether that's GDPR, whether that's California data privacy laws, whatever the case may be. You highlighted something earlier, which is organizations going out of business due to ransomware. But talk to me a little bit about some of those other organizational impacts from these material breaches. Attacks are no longer only focused just on large financial sector companies. Any kind of organization can be attacked. Over the weekend, I turned on the TV. There was a news item, the BBC, general TV news show. And they were talking about a Swiss company, Offix, who's a small office supplies company. Their business, pretty much 100% e-commerce based, and they suffered a ransomware attack. That breach literally stopped their business. They were totally unable to trade. The CEO of the company was being interviewed in this news item. You could visibly hear in his voice the impact that it had on his organization. The attackers demanded half a million dollars. The company refused to pay it, but eventually it cost them more to get their business up and running, and it took them many, many months. And then public sector, that has been a really key target for attacks. 
police to universities. Last October here in the UK, there was a small local government authority in London. They were attacked. It had considerable impact on critical services that were being delivered to the community they serve. It took them a long time to recover many of those services. People's benefits pay was one of them. And the other one that terrifies me is the increase in attacks focused on healthcare. Healthcare organisations are literally being held hostage by attackers and it's putting people's lives at risk. So we've been again across Europe, we've been engaged with a number of healthcare organisations to help them. One particular customer that we've been very engaged with is the American Hospital in Dubai, world-class healthcare organisation. When the pandemic hit, they quickly had to pivot, like many companies, and switch their IT priorities. They turned a hotel, a local hotel in Dubai, into a 390-bed hospital to support COVID-19 requirements. Most importantly, they were able to enable that facility to very quickly have secure access to all the IT services and capability of the main hospital data center. The other thing they were able to do was they managed to enable a lot of their administrative staff to start working remotely. And we've also worked with them to accelerate a planned project which offers telehealth services. So normal people who were not being were not suffering or being impacted by COVID could still they could still get access to normal healthcare via that capability. So great example of where we work together to be able to really enable them to overcome the challenges that COVID represented. And honestly, you you just gave a, a very good use case as to why. I personally am in information security because it does actually represent the physical and digital worlds coming together, this idea of protecting human life and safety. And I can tell you, local in San Diego over the past week, my healthcare provider has been ransomed, is currently battling and cleaning up that environment. But things like being able to book a doctor's appointment through an online app down, they had to shift sending heart attack and critical patients to other hospitals in those minutes matter. And I can assure you, Jan, I've met with numerous CISOs for healthcare providers. They are currently facing all of the fire. And to include, Jan, and this is crazy, a friend of mine called me this weekend, a mid-sized healthcare provider. Not only are they ransoming, they're coming back for secondary insertion. So this environment had great visibility. They were doing all the right things, had backups, cleaned up their environment, rebuilt after directory after Bloodhound was ran, The receptionist at the front desk gets a phone call from the hackers, very Eastern European, the FBI is engaged, Secret Service engaged, fast forward two days, what happens? My friend gets a phone call on his cell phone and they ask for him by his first and last name. So now it's gotten really, really personal with these extortion attempts, especially when you're practicing good cybersecurity. And so my message out of all of that for any of the defenders, any of the program leaders is, it's probably time to start looking at OSINT modeling yourself, battening down some of those hatches, because it does seem like recently the attackers are actually coming after the good defenders and incident responders. And so look, cloud first security, I wanted to dive into this a little bit as we're getting towards the end of the session. But I think 61% agree they need to view security differently now that the attack surface has expanded. Great. It always starts with the recognition that a new problem exists, new opportunity exists. It's going to take some new strategy. 43% of respondents said they plan to build more security into their infrastructure and applications to reduce point solutions. And 98% already use or plan to use a cloud-first security strategy. And I'm personally surprised by this because I'm friends with a lot of CISOs. I get to meet with a lot of them. 
And I can assure you in 2018, there weren't a lot of CISOs who were talking about uh, cloud-first security. But to these last two points, cloud-first security, Jan, and then reduction of the number of point solutions. Talk to me about what are we doing to address needs that are out there in the market? It's funny, I know I rejoined the cybersecurity business recently. I was in it some years ago. And when I joined, your comment earlier really resonated with me, which is in some ways things have changed in another way, not a lot has changed. You know, one of the things that we are seeing changing, and that's really been accelerated in the last 12 months, is that cloud-first security strategy. Whereas CISOs previously may have been considering it in the longer term, the time to adopt that strategy is significantly accelerated. But the cybersecurity vendor marketplace is still incredibly complex and somewhat overcrowded with lots of point solutions. And so what we're seeing is customers, particularly because they need to be agile, they need to keep ahead of new threats. They want to take an approach where rather than having to manage a complex IT infrastructure with lots of point solutions, they want to take a more intrinsic approach by building security into their infrastructure and apps and reducing the number of different solutions that they've got to manage to deliver a complete end-to-end security capability. I think you're absolutely right. Again, highlighted in the report, applications and workloads, especially those that exist in the cloud, we've got app modernization efforts, containers, they're sort of replacing sort of these three-tier applications that we've built on top of workloads, but it's viewed as the most vulnerable point in that journey. And I think to your point, Jan, what I want as a CISO I want consistent uniform controls wherever my data exists. I think that's the vector that we're working on from VMware Carbon Black's perspective. And so with that, as we're starting to wrap this session up, I always like to leave people with great takeaways and next steps. So I wanted to talk about this idea of consolidation a little bit. As folks are looking to address some of these visibility gaps, as they're looking to address some of these cloud workload risks, this idea of consolidating down to the fewest number of tools I think you, you talked a little bit about the VMware strategy, but what are we seeing from our sales conversations perspectives out there? It's a very simple ask is help me reduce complexity. Help me deliver new security capabilities faster. If you look at the three main causes of breaches, one of them is out of date security solutions or policy. So they need to act fast and consolidation enables that. If you're going to continue to buy lots of point solutions from many, many different vendors, which can often have a very slow RFP or RFI process attached to it as you go through that selection process, you can't respond quickly enough to keep your organization safe. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and secondarily, I would follow that up with stop adding more tools. And I know that seems a little weird after we set start consolidating. But my general thought on this is, is lots of times a new risk comes up. We're like, oh, we've got a gap in technology, but we're missing a key step. And for the defenders in the audience, this idea of continual tuning. So you've got tools that are already in place. You start to look at a consolidation strategy, but you start to tune the current ones you have to Jan's point, close that window of vulnerability down, tighten up your detections, tighten up your preventions as you're working towards this new consolidated strategy. And then finally, Jan, I think uh, you wanted to mention that folks should continue to partner. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so partnering is particularly important here in Europe, Middle East and Africa. We have a great partner ecosystem of organizations that are really adding great value to our customers by offering managed services. We've got a lot of partners we're working with to deliver instant response. So they are a key part of the capability that we're delivering to our customers here. Absolutely. And, you know, my one piece of advice around partnering is treat your vendors, treat your MDRs, your MSSPs as part of your security team. They all have a part to play, whether they're 
writing technology, managing that technology, or looking to tune that technology. Get freedom like you're on your team. And with that, I wanted to thank Jan on behalf of me. This was a great session as always. And until next time, you can find me on Twitter at InfoSecRick, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.